0: Our response to the climate and ecological crisis requires heaps of innovation. We need to transform entire industries, reskill the workforce and create new jobs. That's one huge challenge, but one giant opportunity. But how does this affect you and your sector? Content with Purpose partners with professional member associations and trade bodies to delve into the future of their industries, asking the tough questions and showcasing the innovation propelling our net zero ambitions. Subscribe to this podcast to learn how the professionals in those industries are contributing towards our collective effort to reach net zero and a more sustainable and prosperous future. Material change, resourcing net zero.
1: Hello and welcome to the last of our six-episode series of Material Change, Resourcing Net Zero, an IOM3 and Content with Purpose podcast series exploring the essential role of the materials, minerals and mining communities in addressing the climate crisis and achieving net-zero targets. Now, a huge part of the complexity of the climate crisis is it's not an isolated problem. It's tied up in all these other big issues like biodiversity and geopolitics and social justice and the entire social structure of our world. And it's not just that any big change is an opportunity for fixing other problems. It's that we can't make good progress on the climate problem without a better system all around. And the most critical part of the system is us, the humans that make it happen. And we know that at the moment, the humans with their hands on the levers of what goes on are drawn from a relatively narrow group. So in today's episode, we're going to be addressing how the materials community can promote diversity and STEM education and how it can attract new talent, because all of that is going to be essential for the sector's development towards net zero. Now, as always, we have two expert guests to help us delve into these topics. So let's meet the first one. And that is Emily Radley, who's the chair of the IOM3 Pride Group. Emily, could you describe what that group does and what your current priorities are?
2: The IOM3 Pride Group is one of the community groups within IOM3. Um, and so that's things like women in materials, minerals, and mining, um, ethnic minorities in materials, minerals, and mining as well. And so we are a focus point for members who are of an LGBTQIA background and who want either additional support or who um, want some similar. Um, members of the community to speak with or for people who are interested in understanding how to be a a better ally towards LGBTQIA plus people and so it's a kind of a combination of inputting for Iron 3's policies running podcasts and events and things like that and then also sort of that member networking side and so we are relatively new for iom3 and and that has um, been a an interesting start because we um, effectively kicked off in the pandemic so very very sort of digitally based rather than um that that traditional in-person sense but we are trying to push out into a a wider area at the moment so fingers crossed in the next couple of years we're a a bit more physically present as well as uh, digitally
1: And what's the historical context here? How diverse have the materials, minerals and mining communities been until now? I mean, just on the face of it, given, you know, societal, general impressions out in society, it doesn't sound like the most diverse set of industries. No. Um, So engineering in
2: general has been and continues to be a a relatively low diversity area. and, And that's not just LGBT. Q plus area that you know for ethnic minorities for um, different genders there is um, an ongoing uphill struggle to try and lift that, that diversity and, and increase it a little bit um, in in degrees but hopefully getting getting there um, historically it has been really poor um, and we haven't seen a particularly wide variety. Um, or diversity of, of people and, and thought necessarily within engineering, um, and that is something that education has played quite a critical part in, um, and we need to be opening up that that attitude and, and appreciation that you don't have to look like a, a certain faced fit, and um, that makes a, a big difference for who. Who has been in the fields traditionally, and and who is starting to come in? Um, but it is it is definitely not a particularly diverse area still, and we're still struggling to to see that change really shifting.
1: And is the most responsible factor in you know in that very non diverse history? Is it is it perceptions of engineering, or is there anything else?
2: So I, th- I think like you hinted at uh, at the beginning, you know, we're in a, a Changing society at the moment you know the the socioeconomic factors the the shifting idea of of where we sit as a society who can do what um you know what boys do what girls like you know this this entrenched idea of, of who we are and what we're capable of it's is still present and we still struggle to um, see past that in a lot of areas you know everything from sort of like oh, you are going to have a, a pink barbie or a, um, you get the Meccano set for Christmas it, and, and it's just trying to shift that that binary and that idea of, of who fits where is it's it's so entrenched and quite um, subtle a lot of the time that you don't realise you're battling against it until you have to really interact with it on a day-to-day basis. So I think that's a huge part of it. And that's probably the thing that really needs to change before we will progress further with um, sort of regearing gearing education and, and changing that perception, um, you know, within a workplace setting. So, there's a big sort of societal shift that, that's happened already, but there's still a lot of hang-up there that people just aren't necessarily aware of. And I'd say that actually is probably the single biggest thing that, that holds us back um, and
0: that attitude. Material change. Resourcing net zero. This episode is sponsored by the Cambon School of Mines at the University of Exeter. The Cambon School of Mines is a world-class combined geoscience and mining department developing skills for the future of responsible mining. You can learn more about their work on our digital series website, materialchange.iom3.org. Material Change, resourcing net zero.
1: Let's meet our second guest for today, Sarah Gordon, who is the CEO at Satala. So, Sarah, just tell us a little bit about what Satala was set up to do and, and how that's relevant to today's topic of diversity and, and attracting new talent.
3: Sure, certainly, Helen. Thank you very much for having me on here today. So, Satala was first founded really to be an integrated risk management consultancy. And so, what we do is we work with a whole myriad of different organizations to help them identify Where are the potential threats and opportunities, be they financial, technical, sustainability through to talent and say, okay, so where are the where are the pros and cons with all of this and what can we actually do about some of those areas? And the reason why we set this up was that this form of enterprise risk management is a really good way of bringing together some of those difficult aspects. So be they sustainability or through into the world of talent, which, of course, is evolving in terms of the skill sets that we need within our organizations. But also providing us with a mechanism through which we can say, okay, this is a really tricky topic. You might think one thing, I might think something different. Where do we actually come to that common ground where we can actually move forward as a whole? So things like diversity, of course, is incredibly emotive and so requires some nice neutral tools often to be able to to map that way forward and gain positive traction.
1: And are there direct links between having a more diverse workforce and net zero goals? Because these sound like kind of two separate problems. Are they part of the same problem? Or is it just that they kind of come to the fore at the same time?
3: I think in part, it's something that's coming to the fore at the same time. But um, being an exploration geologist, I'm always an eternal optimist. And so therefore, it's a case of saying, well, we know that from from a mining sector perspective, and and the broader circular economy, etc, we're having to go through huge amounts of change at the moment. So change is, whilst it's difficult, is always good. And so therefore, there's the opportunity to roll in aspects of diversity, as well articulated by Emily just now. But also as well, I think what's really coming to the fore is that the skill sets that we needed for the extraction of minerals and metals, etc, and the processing of them in the past is ever so slightly different to what we're going to need in the future and so therefore we need a different makeup with regards to our workforce we need different perspectives we need different levels of creativity etc and so therefore what does that mean in terms of the diversity and the skill set of the workforce that we need going forward so in answer to your question Um, It's almost serendipitous that these two things have landed at the same time because they're both pushing forwards with regards to change. But as we all know, the more diverse your board is or your workforce as a whole, actually that therefore means you've got extra ideas coming into the room. And to be honest, we need all the help we can get with regards to getting through this energy transition and being able to deliver on what the world needs of us.
1: I'm interested in whether, you know, there's a a lot of this, these are traditional, quite have been very traditional industries we're talking about. And part of the problem here, I guess, is to attract people in who think perhaps less traditionally about things and who, you know, who can really change the perception of it. And I think a big thing, obviously, is that people will see these sectors as part of the problem, not part of the solution. And I was wondering, Emily, you know, if you have people who have perhaps, had to think less traditionally for other reasons how much that actually helps i mean if you're looking for a diverse set of opinions are there links between you know people who for other reasons do, don't just do what society has suggested for them is there a link there or is, is it more subtle than that
2: i think that there is a, i think both statistically and, and sort of anecdotally that there, there is um a lot of data now showing that the more diverse your workforce the less likely like Sarah was saying you are to become stagnant and so the more likely you are to be able to innovate with those changes you know and I think that's all kinds of diversity that's diversity of thought you know there's a lot of um sort of the psychology of how people think in um job profiles and that sort of things but you know it also comes as you say from different experiences broadening um, broadening your horizons and changing the outlook. So, if you have five different people, if all of them have a similar background, if all of them have had a similar sort of experience of life, the likelihood is that they just won't be able to um, come up with a different set of, of thoughts in comparison to five people who are, say, got completely different backgrounds, have got different cultural paths, they've got different experiences um, from their interactions with society. All of that shapes what you take to work. And, you know, if that is embraced, it can be a really, really positive thing and and make a huge difference for what you'll spot, the ideas that you'll come up with. And it it can make a huge difference. So anecdotally, you know, for myself, I've got ADHD and I frequently find that, Actually, if I spend all of my time with a load of other people with ADHD, which does happen occasionally, we will similarly not very divergent, you know, because we're sort of our own little microclimate. Whereas when I spend more time with people with, you know, lots of different backgrounds and, for instance, at work, it, it becomes far more interesting, the conversations and the ideas that we can come up with between us. You know, we're all pieces of jigsaw puzzle. If, if you get the same piece five times, you're going to get far um, less into the puzzle. It's a very boring jigsaw, yeah, isn't this it? Is it? You know, you're not going <laughs> to yeah. be able to complete your jigsaw. Whereas if you have five different pieces, you're closer towards solving that puzzle, which you know, in this case is that net zero and how we actually bring forth the change required to address the climate crisis.
1: And when it comes to attracting people in, how much is it the case that, you know, minerals and mining and metals, they're seen as part of the big bad past. And so why would anyone who is kind of interested in more progressive ideas or more sustainable ways of doing things, you know, there's all these things, they could go and build wind turbines, or they could, you know, do all these things that are very obviously climate oriented. How do we get across this hump of, you know, People, traditionally, they might have been seen as good jobs, but young people are coming in now going, oh, I don't want to do that. And as a result, you lose the new, that new point of view that might actually change the perception that they're avoiding.
3: Yeah, it's a it's a really, really good question, Helen. And if I had the full answer to it and it was an easy answer, then um, we might not be having the same conversation because hopefully somebody would have, would have addressed it. So... I think that the, the first thing is, from a mining and minerals perspective, we've had huge disasters in the past, be it the failure of tailings dams, be it um, strikes going very badly wrong, um, bribery, corruption, etc. You name it. Actually, we're almost a poster child for where things where things have gone wrong. Um, and I think the first point is actually acknowledging that and saying, no, we, we, we do have had things that have gone wrong in the past. We need to learn our lessons from that. And we need To be able to move forwards, really accepting those lessons. Also, as well, hold one another to account, to be honest, because even one actor within the sector, if they think they can get away with it, that of course then drags the rest of the sector down as well. Now that feels like a really big hard stick um, with regards to how do we deal with it. But the sheer fact is that um, because we have had things go wrong in the past, it's embarrassing perhaps for people to say, hey, I want to go into the mining sector because it's got such a, a bad reputation. So how do we try and move forward into the future? Well, when I went, had the privilege of going to COP26 on behalf of the Geological Society, so I went there with my geological hat on, I was quite disappointed because I think mining was only mentioned twice. And in both occasions, it was in conjunction with coal. So for many people, they think that mining is the mining of coal. So then you say, well, where, where do all these materials come from for wind turbines, etc? Um, At that point in time, there was this sort of Acres of silence. <laughs> there was no answer because everyone went, Oh, we haven't actually necessarily thought about that. Now, for example, within the UK, to give the British government its due, what they've since done is gone, Oh, hang on a second, we need to think about this. They've put together the critical minerals strategy, which actually goes beyond just the, the critical materials and, and well beyond that as well. So, from a UK perspective, you can see the government, et cetera, beginning to gather steam in terms of how do we actually address this particular problem. And with regards to that, of course, it needs that wide variety of skill sets. So exactly as Emily was saying, we need people with different skill sets, different backgrounds to come together. And something that I was thinking about when, when Emily was talking was, it's almost like, so as the geologist, I need to be excited by putting myself in an uncomfortable position by going and working with people who I don't necessarily really understand I know how I've been trained how I've been programmed um, but I need to be able to go and work with say social scientists who have gone through their training and their programming to operate in a very different way and so actually what that requires is an awful lot of uh, curiosity between those different disciplines an awful lot of patience as well the knowledge that we will disagree we will misunderstand one another hugely but if we don't actually work together or if we think if i think as a geologist i can understand everything with regards to a local community to be honest i'm being fairly arrogant because there are people out there who've dedicated their entire lives to truly understanding this and surely we operate better as a team even if it's a little bit of a dysfunctional one So I think that that's something there where actively seeking being a little bit uncomfortable with regards to people that we're working with, because we know that we don't necessarily think in the same way, but seeking what, what are the strengths that everybody brings to the party. So when we get into that space, that then says, okay, it doesn't matter who you are. We need as many people as possible to help us be creative and innovative and work out how to not just do this better, but to find, extract, process, recycle all of these materials in a way that nobody's managed to do before. Now, surely that's a pretty exciting challenge. It's a case of how do we do this in a brand new way? And we need everybody to come to the table with that. Final thing I'll mention there as well is that in terms of traditional skill sets, the funnel of people coming into that is tiny. Um, within the UK, we have rapidly closed down many of our degrees, etc., that focus in on these areas. And that's in part because we haven't done a huge amount of mining here in the UK. So if you did that kind of degree, you'd have to go to abroad anyway with regards to that or go and work for a consultancy or a service provider that would then operate abroad. But if you take somewhere like Australia... Australia, that one of their main economies is mining. In the past year, they've only graduated a handful of mining engineers. And by a handful, I mean, mean you're talking less than 50. That is terrible in terms of a country where mining doesn't have such a bad reputation as it does in the UK. Yet even in Australia, they're not attracting the people that they're need, needing into those core disciplines, such as engineering, to then go on into the sector. So this requires massively creative thought to say, OK, how can we step change this and do it in a different way?
1: And once people, you know, perhaps dip their toe in the water, you know, they they start perhaps an apprenticeship or they, they take on a new job, something like that. Emily, there's always been this tension in the, you know, it sometimes feels like a tension where people... There's, there's often an effort to change the people on the outside who might be coming. Oh, we just need to train them. We just need to educate them. We just need to change their attitudes. But we can count, We're going to stay the same. And obviously, that's not. You know, it's you've got to be willing to change yourself before you go poking about. You know, judging other people. I think. So, how much willingness are you seeing for organisations? Partly because of this, they recognize. Like I see, I imagine, in you know, boards all over the country, they go, "Oh, yes, we need a more diverse workforce." But when it comes to making it happen changing themselves is going to be a big part of that how much progress are we seeing in really you know companies really engaging with actually how can we structure ourselves what can we do that's different before we go pointing fingers at everybody else
2: so i think be it climate change or diversity uh, very much depends on the company Um, and i think there are there is always the element that if it's a large company, the inertia and the um, the drive to change is really, really hard to overcome um, and push forward. So, and and that is a global phenomenon. You know, it's nothing specific to these two elements, but it does mean that it is much easier to focus on that changing, um, as you say, changing recruitment or people in rather than actually seeing the change from within um, i think some it, it's very very variable but what that kind of shows is that there's not necessarily that central drive um to to sort of meet this you know as i say be it the climate change side or or the diversity side there's it's very easy to pay lip service to this Um, You know, and this isn't just within our workforce. This could be universities, our secondary and tertiary education. You know, there are a lot of people who are being told that they need to do something and that it's a great idea and that, you know, it's going to give them all these shiny benefits. Hurrah! Um, But actually, in and of themselves, the education is lacking. You know, from a LGBTQ plus example, most people who are already in a position to be hiring someone within a company will never have done anything like that within their original education which means that it very much falls on them to be educating themselves about what that means what the different sexual orientations and gender identities that we are seeing more and more come as part of our lives and and that people want to be able to bring to their workplace but Aren't necessarily comfortable doing, especially within sort of engineering and and fairly traditional sectors, particularly like mining. And you know, there's a, a huge raft of policy issues surrounding it as well in, in terms of really like um, working abroad, and and it, it's not just LGBTQ plus. That, that's just the tip of the iceberg. That's a, a useful example for me. But you know, there it very much depends on the company very much depends on how invested they are in making the change and I think since the financial crash some years ago now um, we're really seeing the lack of funding having an impact as well and the lack of education that you know makes perfect sense but there is a drive to you need to want to change and that means you need to want to learn more about it in the first place so, you understand why you're doing what you're doing, otherwise, it will never
1: stick. And when it comes to your group within the IOM3, you know, the, the Pride group, what I assume you're working with the organization, you're making suggestions that both IOM3 itself and the organizations that, you know, are their members, what, what sort of concrete things are you recommending? What, what does this look like at the sort of on? At I want to say on the coal face but we should probably retire that um, metaphor because of the climate crisis whatever whatever the sustainable version of at the coal face is what what does this actually look like on the ground what changes are you recommending at the wind farm as it were oh yes okay there we go at the wind farm so again it depends on what what the
2: question is but from a from a bottom line point of view making sure that the change is coming from the top um, so. yeah. It's all very well telling your workforce to suddenly get all interested in diversity and that they need to understand all these ins and outs and and make sure that they really appreciate, you know, what the different needs of different religions, different genders, different um, sexes, all of these variable aspects of our lives are. Um, but if you're not if, they're not getting that education at, at that highest level then it's very difficult to see the change being embodied. So that is probably the single biggest message is starts at the top and it flows down and it, it's not just writing a policy, it's embodying what you want that to what you want that impact to be. So if you are doing it to get a quota, then you will probably achieve that. but what has that actually given you? Whereas if you are doing, okay, we want to see more diversity of thought, we want to increase the output that we're getting by making sure that we are engaging with our teams and and getting a good mix of of different backgrounds and different people within those teams, so we're keeping up that thought, then you've got a, a more substantial goal and actually you can really get a benefit from that rather than try and sort of meet a quota. uh, and, it, and it tends to also mean that people appreciate why it's it's more important to have that diversity in all in all areas but I, so an analogy if you put in together a project team you wouldn't take um, all your project managers and none of your sort of functional um, staff you would make sure you had a good mix of technical and um, your coordinators so it's very much like that you know you take your you mix back you make sure you've got your, your chemist who also happens to have a, a divergent background in um you know they're, they're from a different culture originally and, and know quite a lot about the area you've got someone who is um a materials scientist and they come in and you know they They've had some uh, interesting interactions with lots of universities. You know, they can really help you out with how your training goes, and a lot of that's come through their, um, you know, LGBTQ plus engagement from university, etc. And then you've got someone who's, um, you know, been in the business a bit longer. They understand what the business's end goals are, and, and they're able to kind of put that steel on it, but get the input from everyone and, and get that that throughput.
1: One thing I'm hearing a lot about young people coming into the workforce, Sarah, is that they're generally much more vocal about values, you know, in the way that in the past, they might have thought something, but they wouldn't have dared walk into a job interview and say, well, what are you actually doing about climate? And so it, it feels like that there's much more discussion. They're much more prepared to say, "Well, I expect these social values. What are you doing on climate? What are you doing?" Does that apply to diversity as well, or is it is is the sort of being someone feeling like perhaps they don't maybe don't fit in that they're being made to feel they don't quite fit? Is that something that people are less willing to complain about, or is that now also something that that young people coming into the workforce are much more vocal about? I expect you to have a climate policy, and I expect you to have support for you know the sort of group that that uh, Emily is. Is involved with.
3: Yeah, I think that um, in terms of what people expect of a company, it is, of course, it's changing um, and has changed massively over the last few years. Um, people sort of say, oh, those pesky millennials and everybody who comes after them. Well, as as a as an old millennial, uh, my sincere apologies for coming in and requiring something different of the workplace. But yeah, in terms of making sure that you work within an organization. Um, that you are proud of and you feel that you can contribute to that you can shape that you could be part of its future that is crucial and perhaps for some people some people are motivated by money that's fine that's that's what motivates them other people perhaps are motivated more by the the values that for example you were just describing there helen so certainly when people come into a job interview the key thing is When you go to a job interview, it's not the company interviewing you only. It is a 50-50. You are interviewing that. Company, and that's your opportunity to work out do I like the feel of this place? Do I trust what this company is saying to me? Um, Me with my perspectives, Um, is everybody else going to look the same as me, or will I be surrounded by people that are a little bit different? Which, as I previously mentioned, is quite scary, but actually, that's how you learn, that's how you develop as well. So, yeah, I think that what people expect of organizations is changing, and it's up to every single one of us. To go out out and actively seek, okay, how can I improve my awareness? What am I missing? Where have I inadvertently maybe offended somebody? What can I do about improving things going on into the future? Um, And finally, just building on what Emily was saying in terms of a lot of this change needs to come from the top. So I recently stepped onto the board of Women in Mining UK. And it's a group that was was founded um, sort of in the I think it was around about 2005 direction when it first became, came into being. And um, I was probably one of the first people in the groups who was a technical person. Everybody else within Women and Mining UK came from more of a financial or a legal background. And that was the, just the makeup of women who tended to operate in the UK within the mining sector. Now that has changed hugely over the last decade or so, which is really exciting. But also as well, the number of women who are on the, boards of organisations and are in senior positions within those organisations has improved dramatically. And I think as well, when you look at the diversity of those boards, you see a net monetary benefit to those organisations. So it's not just about values, it's actually about good monetary business practice as well.
1: Well, I mean, it's interesting. You've just reminded me of something that happened um, probably 15 years ago now in, in a scientific environment where a senior academic walked into my office and he said, Helen, I've just, the university had this diversity training, so I did it. And it's made me think about lots of things. And he said, has that, have you ever seen me do anything that would be inappropriate or that you consider could have changed you know and he just walked into my office and and he had the humility just to ask and I and in a very non-confrontational way and it was such a a positive thing that he the first question he asked was what what could he have done and I thought I thought that was an amazing thing Emily what sort of help is that so Sarah mentioned an organization there but what sort of, if, if you, if someone is running a company and they're listening to this and they're going, okay, well, I'd like to do something about this, but I don't really know where to start. What sort of help is available from external organisations or perhaps from activist groups or charities or the government? Like where, you know, is there a brief list you could give us of where people could go to, to get started?
2: From an informational point of view, there is so much information out there. It is, it is pretty much swimming so you know even just doing your basic sort of google search on that kind of how to be more edi friendly you know how to how to increase um your equity within the workplace um you know quality diversity and inclusion side there are so many resources most of which are free that you can do a lot of that um sort of starting point with yourself um There are companies who specialise in going through and looking at things like um, your EDI policies and how to make those more appropriate, uh, how to sort of give them the 21st century facelift, as it were. Um, I can't think of a huge number off the top of my head, but again, they exist. Um, From the sort of professional organisation side I think as a company, you can reach out to your professional organisation and supporting areas. So, for instance, the Royal Academy of Engineering have a um, process um, that they support companies through, which will do an evaluation of sort of where you are um, in terms of your diversity. So it's kind of a self-evaluation to start off with. And then you go through the, the sort of paperwork side and they can then support and help you um, develop that um EDI and so that's that's generally not just the sort of um, not just the sort of LGBTQ plus that's um, all diversity within your uh, within your workplace or within the environment you're working in so there's there's quite a lot out there it's quite a mixed bag so I think for instance my original degree is actually chemistry so the Royal Society of Chemistry is one of the um, leading communities for um, sort of increasing that EDI side and, and using those resources and I think one of the biggest things with, um, with diversity and with increasing that sort of equity within the workplace is there's much less sort of competition everyone is driving in the same direction so, you know, we're always happy to recommend other resources and, and to sort of share and share alike, as it were. So if it's something that one area doesn't have, it's almost certainly going to be covered by another professional organisation or by um, a company.
1: I'd say the other thing. So there's lots of collaboration yes, out there. Yes, yeah, then. hugely. That's what I've call it, yes. So we're we're almost at the the end of our time. I just wanted to ask. Oh, I've got a couple of questions more for each of you, but but Sarah, briefly, what are the biggest challenges to really changing the workforce and making it more representative? Like, there's there's the kind of obvious things, but what's the what's the real fundamental? What's the problem here? What is it? What what's the obstacle to overcome? The biggest single thing. Um,
3: So I think that the first thing is is actually, well, what is the exam question? What are we actually trying to do here? So traditionally, we'd say it's all about the hole in the ground and processing those materials. Whereas actually, let's take a step back and think about that. Um, how about shaping mining as being the construction project that then leads to proper societal and environmental development that, that comes during but then after it as well? Because that's what a mining project is. It's just a big project. You know, it's constantly changing day to day. Now, as soon as you switch that, suddenly mining becomes less about a dirty great hole, as beautiful as they, of course, can be. And suddenly it's about building the future so you've changed what it is that we're doing. Now, this isn't spin. This is intentional. What are we actually aiming at? And where are we rewarding ourselves for success? So we're not rewarding ourselves for making money by digging copper out the ground. We're rewarding ourselves for that development initiative and project that is actually truly what is going on here. So it's a different way of, of scoping this. Now, if we do that, that then immediately changes the vibe of the sector And perhaps some of the the skills and the expertise that's welcomed into it. So I know you asked for one thing, but that's the first thing. I think the second thing is prepare to be uncomfortable because we need to actually, you need to be aware that when you as a scientist are speaking to, say, someone who is a social scientist, you will not understand everything that they're saying. But you've got to be curious and open to understanding where you're both trying to go together. And I think that, being prepared to be uncomfortable and to ask those questions and to be curious, that is also one of those tipping points as well.
1: OK, well, one very quick final question from each of you. Um, Sarah, you might have covered some of this, but you're allowed another one. If you were to put a slogan on a T-shirt that was going to be you know, distributed to people um, in this sector that had a message that was relevant to this, very short, like key take-home point that you just want to be shouted from the rooftops, what would it be? Emily, you can go first.
2: I think retaining this generation will attract the next generation. Your leaky pipeline is the single greatest um, issue that we see on maintaining diversity within the fields. And If you work out a way to keep them this generation, that in and of itself will attract them for the next generation. And you will likely achieve it through education. So you will be also working on that education side and understanding of what we do, why it's important and how it contributes towards resolving the climate crisis.
1: Brilliant. I like that. It's a good t shirt slogan. Uh, Retaining this generation will attract the next generation. Okay, Sarah, what's yours? (laughs) Thanks for putting me on the spot here, Helen. Um, Okay, so I'm going to go with something.
3: I know. Tough exam (laughs) questions, sorry. I'm going to go with something really, really cheesy. So on the front of my t shirt, I'm going to have curious, creative, and courageous, because I think those are three of the. The, the aspects or the, the, the parts of people that we need in order to be able to take this sector into where it needs to be in the future.
1: Brilliant, excellent. Well, we've clearly got lots of transferable skills here. We could go into t-shirt design as well <laughs> as um, all the uh, materials, minerals and mining stuff. And that is all we have time for. Thank you to Emily Radley and Sarah Gordon for joining us today. I'm Helen Chersky and you've been listening to Material Change, Resourcing Net Zero.
0: Thanks once again to the sponsor of this episode, the Cambon School of Mines at the University of Exeter. You can read, watch and learn more about their work and about the full Material Change Resourcing Net Zero digital series by going to materialchange.iom3.org or simply searching for Material Change on social media or Google. And don't forget to visit contentwithpurpose.co.uk or find us on social to check out more of our podcast collaborations.